Now I thought, okay, you know, the minute I go full-time with my business, there's gonna be a Lambo in my driveway by tomorrow, right? That's, <laughs> that's how it works, right? I highly recommend sort of trying to stay um, grounded if you can before you make the jump. Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, alongside Associate Dean Phil Powell. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. And if this is your first time joining us, we just want to welcome you to the Kelly family. And for all those listening, if you are wrestling with a tough management decision, if you have an idea for a topic you'd like us to cover, or you just want to nominate someone to be our guest, send us an email to ROIPod. That's R-O-I-P-O-D at I-U-P-U-I dot E-D-U. Well, we hear a lot of times in organizations and business this term side hustle. For a lot of people, this becomes a way to make just a little extra money to make ends meet. For some, it's a hobby that's become, you know, a little bit of a money maker that's just fun and just pays, pays for a nice dinner now and then. And for some, it actually becomes a full-time job, which tends to be a little scary, can have a lot of mixed emotions, especially when you have a great organization you're working for that's giving you all the benefits. And so on this episode, we're sitting down with Tommy Griffith, the founder of ClickMinded, a digital marketing training for marketers using SEO. And he's one that left an amazing company at Airbnb to turn his side hustle into his full-time gig. So Tommy, just want to welcome you to the show. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. So let's start off with this side hustle that you started. I mean, you started your time at Air or at PayPal and then moved to Airbnb. So kind of set the stage as to some of your expertise is how you got into the SEO world. Yeah, sure. Um, I think the, the funniest, whenever you talk to internet marketers, one of the best questions you can ask them is how they got into the game because everyone has such a bizarre story of stumbling into it in, in really weird ways. Um, for me, I, I studied finance at school and I graduated um, at the height of the recession. Um, I thought I was going to go work at a bank and be super boring and, uh, and it didn't end up working out. And I ended up... Um, reading this book, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Did you ever read this book? Did you ever hear about it? I've heard of it. I have not read it yet. Yeah, so um, so for the uninitiated, for anyone who hasn't read it, it's, it's a little old now. It's a little dated, probably 2007 or 2008. But the basic idea is this guy, Tim Ferriss, he wrote this book, The 4-Hour Workweek, and it was kind of the catalyst for a lot of people to build remote businesses. So, you know, he was kind of the first one to say, hey, it's okay to have a remote team and travel while you work kind of thing. And, uh, you know, um, connect a bunch of different sort of internet marketing ideas to create a remote business. I got really into search engine optimization that way. One of the things he recommends in the book is to like pick a knowledge-based product, right? Like if you have a specific type of knowledge that, that, uh, that no one else has, um, that should be one of your first products. And I had this very dorky story um, in university a bunch of friends of mine and I started a fraternity. <laughs> it was exactly as obnoxious as it sounds. Oh, um, no, I get it. I, was, I started a fraternity myself back in college. So I totally understand. Oh, uh, nice. Okay, cool. So you're, you're just as obnoxious as me then, Matt. Of course. <laughs> so um, I started this fraternity. It kind of started as a joke. And then by the time I left, there was like 100 guys in it, right? So I'm sitting in my hammock at my parents' home in New Hampshire thinking of different types of knowledge I have. And 
the one thing I thought was like, oh, I know how to create a fraternity. Um, so I used the Google's keyword tool and it turns out 1,500 people a month were searching for how to start a fraternity in Google. And so I wrote this really dorky 60 page ebook <laughs> on exactly how to start a fraternity and said, okay, I need to get this to the top of Google. Like, how do I do that? I started selling the book for $10. Nobody bought it. I dropped the price to $5. Nobody bought it. And then I increased the price to $47 and 250 people ended up buying it. <laughs> so fast forward 10 years, I've been doing internet marketing ever since. I started a business with a friend of mine that failed miserably after, after college. We borrowed a bunch of money from family and friends and basically lit it all on fire. And I was a complete idiot about <laughs> every step of the way. Um, came home with my tail between my legs, but it was kind of the right place, right time. PayPal was hiring an SEO manager for emerging markets. And that was the next kind of six years of my life. I spent two years managing search engine optimization at PayPal, four years managing search engine optimization at Airbnb. And this failed company I had with a friend of mine and I, um, it, I had brought on a lot of debt for myself and I started to try and figure out ways to, to get rid of that debt. Tried a bunch of different side projects, nothing worked. And the one that ended up working was ClickMinded. So ClickMinded started as an in-person SEO training course. I would rent out co-working spaces on Saturday mornings and do like this nerdy kind of all you can SEO sort of day. So like would bring on entrepreneurs and marketers and would just spend all day, you know, looking at people's websites and figuring out how to get them more traffic. The side project grew and grew and grew. Uh, by the third year, it eclipsed my salary. And then two years ago, I left Airbnb to go full time on it. And now we've expanded to seven courses. I have a small team of five. We target um, Inc. 5000 to Fortune 500 companies and teach them how to do digital marketing. And we do digital marketing training for their, their teams as well. So um, it's been been kind of a ride. So let's let's go back a little bit to your your whole whole premise. You know, you you figured out you have this uh, talent. You know, at the time is now SEO as you're sitting at PayPal um, and Airbnb. And so, did you say the whole premise was just to get out of debt and make a little extra money on the side? Yeah, I mean, really, just to just for the debt. Um, I was just one of these people. I was very blessed. My parents paid for university. I was one of the few people to graduate school with no debt. And I ended up putting myself into debt, trying this very dumb business idea, right? And um, it was, yeah, it's funny, like being miserable and in debt is like one of the strongest forces of human nature possible, right? <laughs> and it was, it definitely pushed me to move. And so um, I was trying a bunch of different ideas and um, yeah, search engine optimization training was just one of these things. My boss had asked me to do it for a bunch of colleagues at PayPal. Um, I did it. I got a lot of really good feedback on it and kind of said, okay, maybe, maybe I'll try this. Started with, with in-person training. And then again, it was just right place, right time with this kind of online course renaissance that we're in now. A lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, online courses are, are proliferating now, but I was just kind of there, um, pretty early. This is a great story. Very inspirational. Um, you know, there's a debate in the research about whether you're born an entrepreneur or you learn an entrepreneur. So here's a, here's an interesting question. Your trajectory, how much of it was luck? How much of it was sort of a natural entrepreneurial instinct that maybe you were born with? And how much of it was sort of, you know, a, a good business education sort of taught you to look for opportunity? Interesting. This is a great question. Um, I would say none of it was business education. Zero. Absolutely zero. <laughs> um, I would say... Um, 
you're kind of born with it, probably also close to zero. Um, it was more about like being miserable and desperate and, <laughs> and, um, and the sort of just the, I think being really, really, really comfortable with failure. Uh, really, really comfortable with it. I'm so good at failing. <laughs> I'm going to teach a master class on messing things up and failing. But I just, um, yeah, I mean, click-minded, you know, it's now great. I've recently published a blog post on kind of posting all the revenue and every the whole journey, as you can take a look at that. But um, it was like idea number 15. I mean, it really was not like uh, this, this uh, miracle idea or invention that came out of the sky. It was, it was really more just being really comfortable with failing a lot, for sure. So I want to think about, you know, as we talk to leaders and we talk, you know, a lot of our audience run their own uh, businesses or actually most of them, I'd say, are in an organization right now where they're maybe in management, maybe they're um, working their way um, through the ranks, so to speak. And a lot of them, are in your position where maybe they do have a side job to kind of help pay a lot of debt, you know, or they're doing things on the side just to make a little extra money. So talk us through some of the emotions when you finally get to that point of realizing, man, this is actually viable. I'm at a place where I may potentially be able to quit my current job, which is comfy and safe, and take that step. You know, talk us through what you're going through and what ultimately led to that decision to, you know, turn this into your full-time gig. That's a really good question, Matt. And I think um, so. I, everyone wrestles with this a lot, right? Like you have the, um, you kind of have the decision calculus around like how much do I like my job, when do I leave, um, and all that. And for me, it was really interesting because I did want to do something entrepreneurial, but. I was at a company that I really liked. Um, I joined Airbnb at a pretty prolific time, you know. The first week I joined, uh, Airbnb was subpoenaed by the state of New York for their data. And then the last week I was there, I worked on a Super Bowl ad and Beyonce had stayed in an Airbnb, right? It was just like kind of a wild time. Like there was 100-something employees when I joined, 2,000-something when I left. None of my friends had heard of it when I joined. Everyone had heard of it when I left. So it was just like... I, I was excited to be part of that. I think that was kind of a once once in a generation sort of thing. Um, but it doesn't even have to be that intense. Like if you like your manager and you're working on stuff you're passionate about and you and you feel unaccomplished. That was the, that was the other thing. Like uh, my side project eclipsed my salary, but I kind of still felt unaccomplished at work. Right? I felt like I, I sort of wasn't done. So for anyone that's listening, and they're thinking about this. Like maybe they're they're um, in management at a at a company, or they're sort of like thinking about the next phase. Um, like the decision calculus you make is really, really easy if you hate your job, <laughs> right? It's like, it's like, what are my living expenses? What's the, the bottom line profit on my business? And like the minute that threshold crosses, you're gone, right? But for me, it was way, it was actually way more emotional to be frank. Like I, I felt unaccomplished at work. Um, I still had some, some like, you know, I, there, I, I liked my friends. I was dating someone, right? Like there were a bunch of like kind of life things that, that, that kept me there. But the other thing, too, is because of the first failed business idea, I knew I, the wounds were kind of fresh from how bad it can go, right? Like, um, there's so much survivorship bias in a lot of the entrepreneurial stories that you read. You only hear about the people who win. And the, va the reality is, right, startups are hard and most startups fail. And the vast majority of businesses aren't going to work. And so I knew exactly how bad it could get, right? <laughs> and, um, and I was in the situation where I... 
yeah, I, my, my side project eclipsed my salary, but I still waited another probably two years, um, before I, before I made the jump, you know what I mean? So, uh, there is one interesting kind of thing to think about here. Uh, a good friend of mine, Dan Andrews, he runs this podcast called Tropical MBA, and he coined this term called exit velocity. Um, I'm just pulling up the definition now here. This might be something worth thinking about for anyone that's listening whenever they're thinking about like the trajectory they want to, to take when they, they, they leave their company, right? He coined this term exit velocity, and the, defini the definition is the amount of professional and entrepreneurial momentum you have when quitting your job and starting a new venture. Momentum can come from a variety of sources, investment, capital, experience, anchor clients, industry knowledge, and connections, aka unfair advantage. So I, I think that's one thing to think about a little bit is like a lot of people, they do this, like um, they're, they're working somewhere for a really long time and then they want to suddenly jump to something totally unrelated to what they've been doing. And I actually think that's in general kind of a bad idea. Um, you know, someone, they're like a trial attorney. They go to law school and they're like a trial attorney for 20 years. And then they suddenly want to sell CrossFit jump ropes, right? <laughs> they're like, you know, something totally unrelated. If you love CrossFit, that's fine. You want to make that jump. That's fine. But the reality is like right now you're being paid by your employer. You're learning stuff every day. You're meeting people every day. I think it's incredibly advantageous to use those things. Let those things compound, right? In my case, I was managing search engine optimization at two of the biggest websites in the world, but then I was teaching it on the weekends on the side, right? And then I was using the product on my own team. So the, the designers and data scientists and, and engineers that joined my team were using the product. I kind of kept using it again and again and again and again, and I kind of gave myself an unfair advantage when I left. So yeah, for me, it was a lot of personal reasons why I waited so long to go. But the other thing I think that maybe managers or things like that should think about is, what are you doing now every day in your work that you can use in order to make that jump and, and make it a little bit easier when you take the next step? Here's an interesting question I think our listeners would, ears would perk up on. What is, I mean, I'm curious if you could tell the moment when you walked into your, your manager's office and, and resigned, which leads to the other interesting question, what's the right way to resign? What's the best way to resign? Ooh, I've never been asked this before. Um, yeah, for, for me, I don't know. It was kind of funny because one of my managers said like, oh, I can't believe it, it took this long, right? Like I thought you, <laughs> I thought you would be gone, um, way, way before then. But, um, yeah, I mean, so actually the way I did it, my dad always taught me this. He said, whenever you say bye to someone, you always wave with all five fingers and not just one. Right. And so like I, I, uh, <laughs> the way I did it was gave a really, really early heads up, um, three or four month notice, which was like, um, I think there was a lot going on and it was a little bit harder to, um, to find someone who would have been a good replacement because there was just a lot of balls being juggled in the air. But, um, yeah, really advanced notice. And, um, I mean, you know, Airbnb was like a big part of the next phase of my product, right? Like all, a ton of the members of the growth team had used it. They really helped me develop it a lot. So it was not like a screw you guys, I'm out of here sort of thing at all. Um, I really don't recommend doing that. <laughs> and, uh, I really, and, and you know, all those people, anyone at Airbnb can still enroll for free. Um, I'm still using a lot of those connections to meet other people. Like it has been the, the single biggest, the single greatest thing I ever did for my business was work at a really well-known company, right? So um, how I exactly resigned, I don't think it was too 
formal or specific. I think just on a Friday getting beers, I said, hey, I'm going to leave in three months, something like that. <laughs> but, uh, but definitely gave a big heads up and definitely did it um, uh, very politely. So you're, you're saying that for some, some managers, I mean, be, tr- creating a side hustle becomes the first step because for some leaders, you know, they have this knack. They go into work every day. They may not feel, feel fully fulfilled. Uh, they, they may have things or elements within their job that is, is great, um, but a lot of it is just kind of getting caught in the weeds or they just feel like kind of plateauing. So through your journey, Talk to someone who's trying to figure out, I don't even know where to begin with starting a side project, let alone getting to, you know, step 10 where I'm actually walking away from my current job. You know, I'm at step one. Yeah. Yeah. Really good question. Um, and so, so there's a balance here, right? Because like I said before, a lot of my motivation was like really the embarrassment of putting myself into all this debt. Right. And I just, I tried something. I was really dumb. I did everything you could possibly imagine incorrectly. And I tried a bunch of different side projects to solve it. Um, and a bunch of them didn't work because of my own disinterest in them. Right. So like as one example, this was 2011. And my, one of my ideas was to create an iPhone app development lead generation site. Right. So like it was 2011 iOS development was getting really popular. People were all wanting to learn Xcode. Everyone wanted to create their own iOS apps. If you were a company that didn't have an iPhone app, you were like lame and you needed to go create one. And so the idea was like, okay, I'm going to create this site. It's going to rank on Google for terms like iPhone app development costs and iOS development companies and iPhone app development agencies. And then maybe I could get all those leads and then sell the leads. Like that was the idea. And I created the site, I got it up, I got it ranking, I got it generating traffic and generating leads. But every morning when I would go work on it on that Saturday morning, I just hated it. Like I, I, I couldn't get out of bed. I wasn't interested in it. I had no interest in iPhone app development. I'm an Android guy anyways, right? So like, I, I, I just hated it, right? And, um, you know, I was a, I was a big dork as a, as a kid, surprise, surprise at this point now, right? And I played a lot of like computer games and search engine optimization to me became my computer game. Like I, I, instead of playing like the game on my screen, I like watching rankings and traffic go up on the dashboard was like my computer game to me. I also love to teach. And so when teaching search engine optimization came up and I mashed those two together, I loved it. It was just, it was something I was, I was really dorkily passionate about, right? There's this, um, like prolific tech, investor slash he's kind of like a religious figure at this point now Naval Ravikant I don't know if you're familiar with him but he's 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 all over Twitter now um, with a lot of different philosophy around starting a business and one of the things he says that really resonated with me was um, what what feels like work to your competitors should feel like play to you and you know it's that's kind of a dorky hallmark moment like do what you love and then you're never a day at work right everyone's heard that but it really was true for me and he and he thinks about it in a really mathematical way he says on a long enough time horizon right if you're working 8 12 16 hours a day and it's work for your competitors and it's play for you you can't really lose right you can't really lose and so yeah, I do think that's one thing to think about. It's like there's all kinds of things you can do in like the MBA space around total addressable market sizing and reading, you know, research papers from McKinsey and all this kind of st- like opportunity sizing stuff, of course. But at the end of the day, like if you can't get out of bed on Saturday morning to go work on this, 
you're screwed. It's, <laughs> it's not going to work because you are the personal engine that's going to drive this thing across the finish line to, to eclipsing your salary. And so I highly recommend um, focusing on, as dorky and hallmarky as it sounds, focusing on the thing that's going to get you out of bed in the morning to start. I want to go into the moment again when you decided because the biggest element is fear. I probably would be the biggest driving factor is fear and discomfort. And especially, you know, with what you said, fear of failure, how did you self-talk? Who did you invite into your circle in this moment? And what steps did you take to overcome these, all the emotions that associate with leaving somewhere very comfortable, everything's going great to get to the place of, all right, everything's brand new and I got to start from scratch. Yeah, two, two thoughts around this. The first one is what I said before around like, Startups are hard and most startups fail, right? And so um, anything you can do to create unfair advantages for yourself is really, really important in my opinion. There's this sort of <clears throat> trope going a lot of, around a lot of inter, um, internet, remote business entrepreneurial circles that I'm in now called the thousand day rule. And the idea is that it takes about a thousand days to create a side project that starts generating more than your salary. And when I first heard this, I was like, that can't be true. That seems way too long, right? And then I went back and I checked down to the day. And for me, it was like 1,040 days. I mean, it was crazy how accurate it was. And then I've asked a bunch of other friends and everyone see, everyone I know seems to be somewhere between like 800 and, and, and 1,200 days, right? The minute, from the minute they work on their side project to where they eclipse their, their salary. And this is, a, if you haven't started your side project yet, this is an absolutely brutal pill to swallow because that's about three years, right? I mean, that's about three years just to get to where your salary is now. So um, I think it was, it's really funny because when I started my first business, I was 22. I, I entered into a market I had no idea about. I wasn't interested in it. I had no resources, no connection, no capital. And I was super confident, right? And <laughs> surprise, surprise, it didn't work. And then after a decade of experience, and working on the side project while I was working somewhere and getting lots of feedback on it and trying to stacking the deck as much as I could in my favor, I was much more nervous trying it the second time, even though I had probably 100x the number of advantages, right? So um, at the end, long-winded well, long answer to your question, Matt, sorry, but at the end of the day, like, I don't think you, the fear goes away. I don't think any of it goes away. The only thing I recommend doing is being relentless about creating as many unfair advantages as you can, right? So that's using the company you're currently working with, building the side project up to a point that's higher than your salary if you can, being your own customer, um, doing whatever you can to sort of create that exit velocity for you before you jump. And talk about the people that are around you because with most anything, especially in business, you know, you gotta have people fighting for you or fighting alongside you in those days when you have no fight left in you because, even if it is your biggest passion and you love doing it, there will come days when you are just flat out exhausted emotionally, spiritually, physically, and you need people in your corner. So talk about some of the mentors that were around you in this time and what you learned from them. For me, it was interesting because I was living in San Francisco at the time. And, you know, now our, our business is remote. It's kind of, you know, more you'd probably classify it more as a lifestyle business, right? Like kind of, I, I don't know what the definition of life, lifestyle business is now, but um, 
it's definitely a small kind of like personal business, right? And San Francisco is actually a terrible city for this kind of business, right? <laughs> like really high rent, really high cost of living. Everyone just is creating PowerPoint decks to get venture capital funding, right? And like when you're having a self-funded, you know, cash flow lifestyle business, it's just the exact opposite of what everyone else is trying to do. So yeah, you're 100% right about finding your community or your tribe or whatever, whatever you want to call it. But for me, that was online. I joined like an, a, a remote business kind of entrepreneurial group and um, it was incredible. Just all people having the exact same problems as me. And it was so funny because like when you would go out in San Francisco with my friends or, or uh, coworkers or anything like that, no one could really relate on what I was doing on the, the lifestyle business stuff. But then when I joined this group and they held a conference somewhere and I went, it was just like, I was in love with a hundred strangers I just met, you know what I mean? Because we just had the same problems. We were so nerdy, like, you know, it was two in the morning, we're at the bar and I'm talking about how to install Google Tag Manager on a WordPress site. Like, it's just like so weird and bizarre, but they all understood me, you know what I mean? So 100% agree with you, Matt. Like finding your people is critical to this stuff because, um, um, you do need that. You need people to, to bounce ideas off of and you need to find them. What's beautiful about the modern world today is you don't necessarily have to physically go there to start. Like you can get, of course, it's better to be in person, but you can get a lot of it um, by finding online groups and, and, and things like that. So that was a huge advantage for me. I think another intriguing angle of your approach is that you're now based in Hawaii. Can you talk about running <laughs> a remote business from, I mean, sort of, sort of all, the, all the fantasy to the side? Um, what's it, what's the experience like of running a, a biz, a remote business from Honolulu? Yeah, this is, a, this is a really good question. So, um, and it's actually not that I'm running it from Honolulu. It's that I've, I've, I've been traveling. Um, I've, I've, I'm living in, I'm in, I'm in Hawaii now, but, um, yeah, I left San Francisco two years ago and have probably traveled through 15 countries the last two years while, while growing the business. Um, and yeah, so it's, um, it's been really interesting. I mean, and this is the nature of, of, uh, of a digital business now, right? Remote teams, um, you know, we use uh, time tracking applications to track staff hours, everything's, all the communication is done through Slack, um, all the content and product is sitting on an, um, an, an Amazon S3 server somewhere, right? Um, and then even the team is like constantly traveling, right? Or one of our, um, one of our developers, just, I was just talking with him before this chat and, and he said, oh, actually I got to go to bed now. I'm in Ukraine, not Portugal. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really nice actually, because, um, you know, it's funny at Airbnb, I would have like, you know, four to four to 12 meetings a day. And now it's like probably one to two meetings a month. Um, and it's because because the nature of the product, right? We're kind of all working on it. We're updating fixes and changes and modifications to the product um, like in Slack. And then you just sort of pick up where, once someone goes to bed, you just sort of pick up from, <laughs> from where they're going. So it really depends on your business, but we are, we are a product, we are not a service. So we don't have to sync up times with clients or anything like that. And we're just kind of constantly, whenever we're working on the product, we're just sort of improving the product um, at our leisure, um, at our time. And so, yeah, there's probably 15 different web applications and services we're using, but um, it's, it's really convenient on, on lifestyle for sure. So as we wrap up, looking back in your entire journey to the point now where you have a thriving business that allows you to not only fulfill what you love to do, also fulfill even some hobbies of traveling. Um, what would be some of the best advice you would give yourself just prior to leaving 
Airbnb? I think the two big ones are what we talked about before, which is um, exit velocity and the thousand day rule, right? Like if you are reading, if you're really into this and you're, you're a manager somewhere and you're thinking about making the entrepreneurial leap, you're probably reading a lot of entrepreneurial stuff, right? Like um, entrepreneurial message boards or blog posts or like anything that Gary Vee puts out, anything like that. And uh, it can be devastating on your psyche. I, I, I really drank the Kool-Aid hard on this stuff. And I thought, okay, you know, the minute I go full time with my business is there's going to be a Lambo in my driveway by tomorrow, right? That's, <laughs> that's how it works, right? Um, it's crazy. Like, um, I really set my expectations way too high before I made the leap. And I think that's something that everyone should think about is I just had this vision of what my life would be. And my expectations were so high that no matter how, how much I worked, um, I was miserable because of it initially because it, it didn't meet those expectations. So, um, yeah, I think the biggest thing around it, if you do decide to do this, is um, trying to give yourself rock bottom expectations. And I say that as the most optimistic guy in the world, but but having those really high expectations put me in a really bad spot. So when I first um, left and everything went horribly wrong the first six months, I was in a really brutal place. So yeah, highly recommend sort of trying to stay um, grounded if you can before you make the jump. Tommy, just want to thank you so much again for being with us on the show. Uh, that's Tommy Griffith, founder of Click Minded, a digital marketing training for marketers using SEO. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, alongside Associate Dean Phil Powell. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.